This episode is sponsored by DevESG. DevESG helps organizations create, capture, certify, and convert ESG assets into real value to solve your plastic, methane, carbon, and energy problems. For more information, visit www.devesg.com. That's www.devesg.com. And this episode is sponsored by Fiscal Note ESG Solutions, a combination of Equilibrium, an award-winning ESG platform, global advisory, and intelligence to help organizations like yours become sustainability leaders. Learn more at eqm.ai. From Green Biz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, Walmart embraces circularity, climate's mental health challenge, why protecting biodiversity may be your next job assignment, and a sustainability professional teaches fourth graders about water. It's just a drop in the bucket this week on 350. It's October 21st, 2022. Welcome to another episode of Green Biz 350. So glad to have you with us, as always, and joining me from Midland Park, New Jersey, in all its fall splendor, it's Green Biz Editorial Director, Heather Glancy. Hello, Heather. Hello, Joel. I hope you are well this week. I am well. It has become colder here, though. We've had some frost. I've got to get my bulbs in this weekend. Well, other than that, I want to know how you are, and please begin your answer with the word verge. Verging on <laughs> excellent. Good. I am verging on excellent. Yeah. How's yeah. that? Uh, that's and how are good. you? Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to get us to, to talk a little bit about next I week's know, I know. big I'm event. Teasing. Uh, uh, I, I am, well, I am very disappointed to announce to the the listeners here that I will not be at Verge in oh, person, that's right. which just you know, breaks my heart. But um, I honestly I will forgot be... about that when I yeah. brought this subject up. So forgive me yeah. for yeah, um, yeah. But um, I am excited to be watching the keynote program. Um, have a ton of stories assigned. Some we have uh, aside from our wonderful. Uh, in-house writers, Leah Garden, Deanna Anderson, and Jesse Klein, we have th- seven, count them, seven mm. freelancers contributing. So um, we have a lot of coverage planned uh, from there and from virtually. I'll be writing virtually myself. Um, but yes, I have, sadly, my personal life got in the way of this yeah. excellent return to an in-person event. I know it's going to be unbelievably amazing. And I hope you have, have what, what do you have planned there? I think you, you're, you're in a lot of prep calls this week. <laughs> yeah, it is. We've so, got between three and 4,000 people coming right now. It's it, and, it, and it continues to rise. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a really, really amazing event. I've got, uh, I've got a lot to do. I've got on uh, Monday, we're doing this nature summit. Uh, and I am, uh, moderating the opening session there, and I'll be part of that all day. We're going to be at Google in the afternoon looking at their biodiversity initiatives and then having dinner at Google, which will be interesting. 
Uh, I've got uh, two plenary sessions, both involving sort of youth climate activists, uh, different takes on that. One in, in the opening day, which is a intergenerational conversation around how youth climate movement and C-suite uh, executives can, can work together. Um, and then, you know, a bunch of panels and all the usual stuff, uh, one on today's tech that's catalyzing tomorrow's building, which I'm really excited about with my friend, John Picard, who's just a force of nature. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, some stuff on deforestation it's all over the map, which is yeah. what I really like about all of our events, but Verge in particular. So there, there will be live stream of that, uh, I think just Thank on goodness. the... <laughs> Green Biz homepage of the plenary sessions on next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's the October 25th through 27th. So uh, you can learn more on the Green Biz uh, on Green Biz, and and uh, we'll link to the the link for the live stream. If they're if they're if it's not just on the homepage, I actually don't know. We'll find out. It, it is on the Verge program page too. Ah, I will I will okay. make sure it's in in the the program yeah, notes. Yeah. So so yeah. that's coming up next week. But you know the drill. Let's go back to this week and the week in review. So Walmart and Loop. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Loop is this thing that uh, uh, started by a company called TerraCycle to uh, use. reusable packaging for mainstream brands Uh, a lot of big companies like Procter & Gamble and Unilever and and others um, that launched I don't know five or six years ago it seems Uh, and and I want to hear your experience with it because I know it was available in in your area in Jersey but uh, they just uh, hooked up for a year-long pilot with Walmart it's kind of a big deal but I was kind of you know when I saw the headline and this is what I'd love to hear from you Heather like oh yeah i forgot about loop I haven't heard about that in a couple <laughs> years is it still going on in your area have you used it what's the what's yeah, the yeah so actually no i so the answer is yes it is still going on in my area but however they did stop the mail order essentially the the online ordering aspect of it they basically they so so for those who aren't familiar with it TerraCycle is the company that ha, has been just uh, founded by tom zaki just amazing innovation you know they he started i think it was like uh, he, he was started with a fertilizer product oh, he started right? uh, selling com- worm poop as a fertilizer for his marijuana plants yes, when he was going to right. yale that's the story how it began <laughs> yeah worm poop he started with worm poop then he got into collecting the stuff that no one knows how to deal with like wrappers and like just the hard to juice really boxes. hard to recycle just yeah. yeah all these items um, and then branched out into the idea of reusable packaging. And that is what Loop is. Started with an e-commerce pilot, yes, which I participated in, basically where you could buy different items. They would come in a, a, a container that could be reused. So like everything from ice cream to Clorox wipes, um, laundry detergent, just lots of, they had, um, wasn't a huge variety of project products. There were, there were, by the way, food products too. I've just named some some household like cleansers and stuff stuff but but um yeah aside from ice cream there's been there was real food <laughs> um but uh basically so they started out with that then they moved they, they're right now actually working with Kroger too so the my experience with it was the following it was I would I would, was excited because I could return 
the containers, but I, I just had a hard time like intellectually dealing with the fact that you had to send this big box back with like a container in it. It just didn't make sense to yeah. me. So what they started piloting with Kroger um, maybe a year and a half ago was um, where you could buy these in, in Kroger stores. You could you could go, you could buy the, the, the product in reusable packaging in a Kroger store and then bring it back. And then from there it has to be cleaned and so forth. Um, so. Uh, you know, Dion De Anderson, who wrote this piece, did ask about that pilot. I actually asked. I put in my my question request for her. They haven't they haven't published the in, the the results of that yet, but are about to do so. Meanwhile, they're testing this out in with Walmart. And what what this what's interesting about this one is that it's part of their in home delivery program. So it's for people that order Walmart products in specifically. Um, it's near their headquarters in Arkansas which apparently they do a lot of tests out there. And um, basically they're going to be testing the idea of you can buy these products, they get delivered, and then by, oh, by the way, the delivery people will take them back. So it's a little bit of a different twist. Um, Walmart, obviously one of the largest retailers in the world, if not the largest, I'm not sure who, it, I guess maybe some Chinese ones are probably bigger, but um, you know, it's just an interesting pilot. The thing's still around. Um, it, it is around in Europe in various places as well, but um, I'm quite intrigued about like how people in Arkansas <laughs> will react to this. Um, I don't know. Have you have you many thoughts about Loop? Well, I mean, what's interesting ab about this is that what they're now piloting with Walmart in Bentonville and Rogers, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, where, as you said, Walmart's headquartered, um, is actually very similar to at least the main talking point when this was launched back in, I want to say 2017 or 18, whenever it was. Um, which is they, they they kept referring to the milkman model, which right. is you know the milkman right. of of your uh, uh, barely in my lifetime, <laughs> at least where I grew up, um, you know it delivers uh, bottles of milk to the to the door, and then you would leave the empties at the door. They would pick those up and wash and refill and use them again, and that's kind of what, what well, that is what Loop is about. Uh, except that, as you said, it was do you go in the store or is it by e-commerce? Now they're coming this in-home delivery service for, that Walmart offers, and it is in fact the milkman model. So mm -hmm. I, I like that they're coming, you know, back to that because I, I've always full circle. I <laughs> guess uh, closing the loop uh, mm -hmm. because I think that was the right model, and um, you know, obviously we don't want extra trucks. Uh, delivery vans, you know, roaming right. the neighborhoods. We've got way too damn many as it is. Uh, but maybe they end up partnering with Amazon, which of course is sort of a mortal enemy, or at least a major competitor uh, in the in the e-commerce world. So, but, but you know, your UPS or or somebody else. Uh, I think that's where this is going to work. But it's a year-long pilot. It, by the way, it involves. Um, will involve by the end of the year about only just 30 products and they mentioned yeah. Gillette, Cascade, Kraft Heinz and seventh generation as some of the brands and um, and it's going to be interesting and and by the way these containers are were there are two two things about them one they're durable and were designed for as I recall for about a hundred use cycles 
Um, and two, they're designed to be, as as someone called them, counterworthy, which is to say yes. things, I mean, not you don't want to just keep your ice cream on the counter, but but they're, when you take it out and put it on the table, it's, it actually looks like a nice container, not just a cardboard thing with a bunch of, uh, you know, Ben and, and Jerry's faces on it. Yeah, and, they definitely were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, I think this is going to be a really interesting experiment. And, and I, I I know you, you and I and others will be looking very closely at, at where this thing wants to go. Yeah, I just want to make one other plug before I take us somewhere else. And that's, um, you know, Tom Zaki, uh, who is just this incredibly creative entrepreneur, um, has, uh, he and I are working together on a column by him for oh. our site. So just FYI, folks. Like a regular um, column? A regular column. Ah, so okay. stay tuned for that. Um, so I'll take us to the next place, Joel, if you don't mind, with, with because I actually am really curious about your thoughts on this one. I know I have my own, <laughs> but one of our regular columnists, speaking of regular columnists, Hella Bank Jorgensen, uh, has contributed a piece this week, the title of which is Business Leaders Must Recognize It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And uh, I didn't know this, but apparently it was recently world i think mental health day or something like that um you know october 10th and uh if you're in thanksgiving it was also thanksgiving (laughs) i'm sorry if you're in canada it was also thanksgiving um but the the piece explores why leaders should be prioritized mental health issues for their employees i and i just you know it's just one of these things that i think became more prevalent during the pandemic, I think people sort of started to sit up and notice that people's psyches were important to how they did their job. And it's something that tends to be swept under the carpet or, or kind of like not talked about, a little taboo. Um, but you had some thoughts on this piece. I want to jump over to you first um, and my own thoughts because I'm dealing with some personal stuff right now that definitely affects my job. But um, why why do you think this issue deserves more attention? So what's interesting to me about this piece, first of all, it's about climate and mental health. In this case, uh, uh, Hella Bank-Jorgensen uh, is uh, CEO of something called Competent Boards, which trains uh, board, of board members for large companies on climate and other sustainability issues. Um, as we get into increasingly into this climate just constrained and ravaged world, uh, it's going to be a lot of challenges for for people um, and for and employees among them, and not just employees, but uh, even customers or communities. And and this is, I think, she's flagging the role that companies need to at least be tuned into this and then figure out what to do about it. She has some suggestions for that. Uh, you know, apparently one third of employees say they had negative mental health effects when they came back to work in the office. And uh, those who are, who are still working remotely, about half are nervous about returning, fe- fearing that it could uh, have a negative impact on their mental health. And and so, you know, and then there's just mental health in general, which is, as you say, long had been a, if not a taboo, at least something that we sort of sweep sweep in the corner under the rug and don't talk about as much, even though some extraordinarily high percentage of people, um, uh, you know, have or say they have some mental health issues. But, you know, so 
you know, she, she cites a number of reports here from the World Health Organization, uh, but also one from the American Psychology Association that's pinpointed several areas where climate is going to have an impact. Uh, natural disasters cause anxiety-related responses. Uh, flooding and droughts trigger PTSD. Uh, extreme weather events uh, lead to increased reports of aggressive behavior and domestic violence, uh, on and on. You know, extreme heat, increased alcohol consumption and hospital and emergency room admissions for people with mental health or psychiatric conditions. You know, and, and, and this, you know, we're just getting going in, in sort of the, uh, sadly, with the, the uh, you know, calamities that, 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 that a changing climate are going to bear upon us. And we're seeing them all over the world now. So what's the role of companies here? I mean, I think that's interesting. And, you know, how do they, should they be investing in mental health programs? And how do they show that they care? And, you know, communications, training, all the things that companies can do. I think she's just raising some good issues here and, and uh, buttressing with uh, some of the latest research. So w- w- what was your take, Heather? So, yeah, so I think uh, I'm just more aware of this sort of thing right now. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, I think as a journalist, and I'm sure you've had this this feeling before, as you're chugging along, you cover these things, it's, it's really hard sometimes to be like optimistic <laughs> about what's going on. And not that we should have be letting that, you know, affect how we cover things, but it's still, I mean, as a human, it's like you're, you, you write about this stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, you're like, holy cow, we're, we're screwed <laughs> or other words. Um, you know, so as a journalist, I struggle with, I would say climate anxiety, eco anxiety pretty regularly. So I appreciate the attention to this. I didn't know one thing on this list, which was that, um, you mentioned before, that individuals with mental health or psychiatric conditions might have to go to the emergency room more often as heat rises. Apparently, a lot of the medications um, that people are prescribed for that actually can't affect someone's ability to regulate heat. So that's actually a physical health issue, right? That that's related to the mental health issue. That that I had no idea. I was like, whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty sobering. But the other thing that you didn't bring up that I have been found myself thinking about more is this whole idea of climate migration. Let's just think about what's happening in Florida, right? Uh, what just happened in Florida with this town, Fort Myers area being just completely devastated. And, and um, you know, where do people go? Like, do people stay there? Do people go somewhere else? Um, in other parts of the world, like Pakistan and, and these places where these communities are being devastated. Number one, can you go somewhere else? Do you have the means to go somewhere else. Number two, if you go somewhere else, you're losing your entire culture, your entire society, your family ties. Like the 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 mental health issues associated with for, forced migration, essentially it's a forced migration, right? Are pretty profound and have just a whole all these social and and cultural ramifications that we haven't even touched begun to touch the the surface on. I mean, it's just really quite scary to think about. So yeah, this is a scary story. I guess it's appropriate because Halloween's coming up, but this is a a scary, sobering, important story for people to really start thinking about. 
Yeah, and this is even before you get to the the question of you know just burnout and um, and all the other things that uh, people face in general, and and certainly a lot of people in sustainability also. I mean, that's one of the things that we need to talk more about as a community is is our own mental health, uh, particularly as the news you know kind of gets worser and worser. Uh, we need to make sure that we're all okay. But you know what? Let's turn to a slightly up. more. Uh, <laughs> upbeat story um uh and it's one that i know you you like that i wrote uh, this yes. week uh, do you want to set it up yeah i'll set it up because i i just thought ooh, if i was going to go find another job this would be one i want um this and your your headline says it all your next corporate job protecting biodiversity so what i loved about this and i know you talked to quite a few people as and and you you were just doing a lot of investigation about this before you wrote it but the, the, the piece focuses on jobs focused on preserve, preserving and regenerating nature. Um, all these different titles that you mention, H&M has a head of climate and nature, McDonald's has a sustainability director, comma, nature and climate, AXA group, head of climate and biodiversity, Procter & Gamble, senior director, nature and biodiversity. So just all of these job titles that are popping up with... Um, with the word nature or biodiversity in them. Um, so we, we've we talked about the need, you know, like over the last two years, I think you and Jesse Klein have written quite a few stories about why biodiversity needs to be a much more part, a bigger part of the climate, the climate planning of companies as well as, you know, nature in general. But this you're showing, demonstrating that the, that the jobs are there now, um, just, what do you make of this? Is this a is it just a tipping point for the for the the nature and biodiversity movement? I'm not sure if it's a tipping point yet. I think it's just the the on ramp, frankly. Um, but yeah, I mean, companies are finally recognizing that climate, and, and and this is not just about biodiversity. It's really often about biodiversity as it relates to climate, um, and you know how climate decimates uh, ecosystems, uh, climate storms and droughts and heat and all of that, and also how uh, maintaining those ecosystems can mitigate some of the worst impacts of climate, uh, you know, marshes and wetlands and and erosion and, and lots of other things. And so, um, you know, companies are recognizing, then we have all this data that says, you know, about half of global GDP, something like $44 trillion, is directly related to nature, and it's not just agriculture. It's not just forestry. It's it's pretty. It's it's really across uh, most industries have some something around natural capital that comes back to their supply chains or their operations or their facilities, and and so you know what do we do about that? And and there's a number of companies that are and, and then one layer on top of that. Now we're having these uh, the task force on nature related financial disclosures is going to start creating frameworks for for standards, metrics, and data. Uh, the Science-Based Targets Network uh, produced a framework, many you know, which which produced the framework that companies use to set carbon reduction goals. Are now publishing the first guidance on to show companies how to protect and restore nature in line with science. Um, and uh, COP15, which is the biodiversity COP, is happening uh, in December in 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 Montreal. Um, will uh, they're trying to come up with a sort of a big Paris-style agreement? So. We're at really the starting gate of this, um, of, of I think what's going to be a, a much bigger push. Somebody said, and I think it cuts both ways, 
that we're where net zero was two years ago. And we mm -hmm. can talk more about the good and not so good things <laughs> good, that happen, bad, have happened with net zero, but, but I think that's where we are. Yeah, I think this is important. Um, I hope it does. I hope it survives the hiring freezes that I'm hearing about at different companies. Um, yeah, hopefully. I mean, that's a big yeah. question. But, you know, uh, and I think in, in past recessions, if, if, if assuming that's what we're going to, and it certainly looks like we're going to hit a global recession in the next few months, um, you know, a lot of these jobs went away and uh, some of them could now. But I think this is becoming a lot more core to business resilience, business strategy, uh, uh, supply chain transformation, all sorts of things. It's going to be hard to, to uh, unbreak this egg, I think. Uh, it, it's going to, um, it, it, this is really a part of what companies will be thinking about and hopefully working on for years to come. The sustainable business community is chock full of people who've written insightful and impactful books on sustainability themes, but not many, to my knowledge, who've written a kid's book on sustainability, let alone with the help of his sister. Will Sarney is the author in question. Will spent decades working at the intersection of business and water, and now as founder and CEO of the water strategy consultancy, Water Foundry. His new children's book is called Water, I Wonder, and he joins me now. Hey, Will. Joel, how are you? I'm great. So give us a quick backstory. What led you to write a children's book? Uh, actually, a couple of things that just sort of converged. One is that I was on the board of uh, an organization, a nonprofit, uh, uh, by the name of Project WET. And Project WET develops content for students, educators, and other NGOs and corporations on water and now water and climate. So I, I grew to appreciate the value of education on these topics and the investment. And then during the early days of the pandemic, my sister Celeste, who teaches fourth grade in Westchester County, uh, asked me if I would do a webinar to the fourth grade classes on the topic of water. She was doing a, a session, a module on uh, natural resources, and I did. And it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating uh, in terms of the questions the fourth graders asked and the follow-up. And it just really hit me how valuable it is to connect with young students on topics that you know you and i and and our friends and colleagues are engaged with so that was that was really the catalyst and then i met tony dunnigan my co-author and fabulous illustrator on linkedin and he reached out to me and we started talking about water and we said hey let's write a children's book wouldn't that be fun and we did so Westchester County is just outside New York City. What, yes. what did, uh, how did they respond? What did you learn from them? Oh, from the students? Uh, yeah. You know, it, what, what I find is that the language that I use, I become so accustomed to it and assume some level of knowledge with the audience. And here are fourth graders that ask the most basic questions about what I take for granted 
So as a consultant to have a fourth grader challenge you on the language you use and asking, you know, a series of whys, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a good learning experience and uh, really challenged me to think differently about how I communicate. Yeah. Can you give me an example of, of some of the things they called you on that maybe you <laughs> didn't expect? Well, you know, they one was on, you know, water being finite. And we got into a discussion about, well, isn't water created and destroyed? And, you know, how could it be that the same water that was around uh, when the dinosaurs were present or, you know, it, it's essentially the same water now. So, yeah, that, you know, that was one that really stuck out in terms of, well, how do you explain that? And, you know, how do you explain it in a way that the layperson and the fourth grader would understand that water is finite really for the most part and we need to manage it as a precious resource? So that one jumped out. So what did you learn? I mean, you've written a half dozen or so books on corporate water strategy <laughs> and related topics. What did you learn uh, about communicating on this or maybe any other, any other topic? <laughs> well, I, I, a couple of things. One, and Tony and I joke about this a lot, that in some ways the book is written for adults, not just children, because it, it really just basically lays out some of the key aspects of water in terms of where it comes from, the different forms, how we use it, uh, some of the challenges we face in terms of managing it. So uh, that was one. And I used to joke that, oh, well, the children's book was great fun because there are not that many words. Well, that may be true, but you choose your words a lot more carefully if it's a children's book. And the illustrations are absolutely critical to communicate what the words say, but also uh, engage the reader in in the topic. And, you know, it, Tony's incredibly gifted and the illustrations are magic. So those are the two things, two of my takeaways. Well, I, I was involved with a, a kid's book uh, in the early 90s called Going Green, A Kid's Guide to Saving the Planet. Um, and one of the things I learned, similar to what I think what you're, what you're saying, is that uh, the adults... Um, back then would say, you know, this is the first time I finally understand what climate change is. <laughs> well, I, there's truth in that. I think we need to be mindful of it. You know, we we did our first book signing at uh, an event called WEFTEC uh, in New Orleans. And Brendan Tierney from Raymond James put together this book signing. And it was, I don't know, 60 or 70 practitioners. And the books were all gone that whether they had kids or not, they took the book. And I think that really does speak to, it, it does connect with adults on the topic and uh, helps to explain a fairly complicated topic, uh, hopefully simply. Yeah. So how do you think, uh, how do you hope this book will be used uh, in a classroom or just reading at home with families? What, what do you think? I, you know, in thinking about, well, you know, why would we write this and what's the impact we're hoping for? I believe it's probably the latter in terms of people connecting with their children and reading at home to them and using this book as a way to communicate, again, the value of an incredibly precious resource and 
what's happening to it in response to climate change. I mean, if it makes it into a classroom, that's great, but I really see it as it's more of a personal connection to your children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews. Or spouse, perhaps. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I hadn't thought of that, Joel, but I'm, I might give it a go. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, what did this lead to anything else? Are you going to do more yeah. you know, soil, I wonder, or, you know, ecosystem, <laughs> I wonder, or I'm wondering, what, what are you going to do? I, I, I wonder what we're going to do. Yeah, um, exactly. Great question. So almost immediately, once we had submitted the manuscript, we thought about, well, what about the I Wonder series? And now we have a number of other books in the queue on, you know, food and agriculture and energy power. Uh, we also decided we omitted glaciers in our book, Water I Wonder. So we're going back and adding that. So we see, you know, we see a series of I Wonder books focus on natural resource issues that uh, are under threat right now. You know, we'll also do one on ecosystems uh, and so on. So, yeah, we we had a lot of good fun and feel like we're doing a good thing and we'll continue. Well, wonder no more. That sounds like a great uh, <laughs> uh journey going forward. And thanks for, for, for starting it with water. <laughs> I wonder, Will Sarney is CEO of the Water Strategy Consultancy Water Foundry. As I said, his new children's book is called Water, I Wonder, and is available from all the usual places. Thanks so much, Will. Joel, thanks so much for the opportunity. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. Go to greenbiz.com slash 350. You'll learn more about the organization's stories and events we mentioned this week. Don't forget about the free live stream of the main stage action at Verge next week. And we'll leave a link to that on the website. And while you're on the site, check out our seven free weekly newsletters. They're a great way to stay up to date all week long. Just go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters to sign up. And uh, let us know your thoughts, your questions, your tips, your ideas. Our address, 350 at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Biz 350 from Verge 22. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. We'll see you next time. This episode is sponsored by DevESG. DevESG helps organizations create, capture, certify, and convert ESG assets into real value to solve your plastic, methane, carbon, and energy problems. For more information, visit www.devesg.com. That's www.devesg.com. And this episode is sponsored by Fiscal Note ESG Solutions, a combination of Equilibrium, an award-winning ESG platform, global advisory, and intelligence to help organizations like yours become sustainability leaders. Learn more at eqm.ai.